So most of us like feeling calm. Uh, we don't like, especially in meditation, to have a lot of thoughts running around our heads. And uh, But it's important to uh, not hold thoughts and the thinking process outside of our meditation, outside of the meditation process. Um, our minds generate thoughts. We're thought machines. Just leave your mind unattended for a minute and there's a thought, 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 thought. And uh, the problem is the fact that the mind thinks uh, and generates thoughts. The problem is when we don't notice them and we just get lost in them. Since we're already thinking, what we want to do with this practice is turn our thoughts in the direction of being useful to us. And, um, you know, the ability to think has allowed us to have, uh, you know, create great civilizations, a wonderful artwork, crafts, uh, communication, uh, medicine. Um, it's allowed us to survive as human beings. So thinking is a really vital part of, of humanity. And uh, sometimes uh, as meditators, you know, because we, we keep being taught, you know, well, let go of the thoughts, let go of the thoughts, you know, there's a tendency to not value them. Uh, but they're amazingly valuable. And uh, they're amazing anyways, just these, you know, what are they? You know, they're these little things that just pop up and have uh, just such tremendous potential to generate so many different things. And they're so insubstantial. So in meditation, we can use our thoughts to uh, help our meditation. For instance, it's a thought that brings you back to the breath, right? That notices, oh, I'm, I'm distracted. Okay, let me come back to the breath. Um, I've often used, um, you know, um, I think I may have mentioned this, that uh, I start my meditations uh, often with uh, uh, thinking about my deepest intention. And when I think about that, you know, uh, it, it makes me feel much more dedicated to staying present, less likely to run off into fantasy, uh, run off into, you know, d different distractions. Uh, you know, Max talked about the hindrances yesterday. Uh, we use thoughts to recognize the hindrances. We use thoughts to work with the hindrances. So there's a lot of really useful ways that we can, we can think during meditation. <clears throat> Typically what we do though, you know, we get lost in thinking about the past or we think about the future or we think about the moment instead of feeling the moment. Um, I've spent way too much time on retreat um, or in other, other sittings um, thinking about my breath, thinking I'm following my breath. You know, just not feeling anything, just thinking about it, you know, and, and thinking I'm staying on my breath, you know, and, and uh, you know, and I remember, you know, like, oh, that breath is too short, that breath is too long, that one's a little bit ragged, you know, and, and all that, but, but without really actually connecting with it, really feeling it. Um, so, um, you know, we can use it to get, lo get lost in this thinking, 
it can, you know, with past and future, or we can use it to bring us to the moment, to bring us to really showing up in our lives. Your thoughts are a shorthand to experience. They're like a symbol. You know, the idea of an orange isn't an orange. And so much of our lives is often spent not experiencing the things in our lives. Um, How many mindless meals have we eaten where, um, you know, we go, oh, I really love this. And then yet while we're eating it, we're not even tasting it. Um, because, you know, the idea of the meal, the idea of the food is very different than actually, uh, you know, like an orange, feeling the texture of the orange, the, the sweetness, the juiciness of it. And we often um, uh, get caught in, in ideas uh, with people. In, in particular, we do this a lot with people where we have ideas about people and we kind of put them in these boxes. This person's like this. And we don't really see the rich complexity of the person, you know, depending on our biases, how we view them, which is a huge problem in society, you know, how we generate bias, how we generate, um, uh, you know, you might not like something about a person and suddenly they're in this box that, uh, that's an inflexible box. So in meditation, um, we work with two aspects of thinking. Uh, the first one is a willingness and commitment to let go of our thinking process to let go of our thoughts and concerns that arise, to not go on their thought trains. And, um, you know, I I think of that as, um, you know, to not get entangled in our thoughts. Um, And this is something that's really, really valuable in our daily life also. It's not just meditation. It's so often, um, regardless of what we're doing, we just get caught in it and, and we're, Uh, you know, missing most of our life because we're just in that thinking world. And one of the things that that working with mindfulness of thinking is that we develop that muscle of, um, you you get a juicy thought, you know, and, ooh, I really like that thought, and you want to kind of, you know, uh, keep going with that one. I mean, I think you've all experienced that, right? And and so become mindful and go, oh, yeah, I'm really caught up in this fantasy. And, you know, you don't really want to let go. You know, there's like this attachment there. And learning to let go of that attachment when it's juicy or, or even an angry thought of being, being upset about someone. You know, it's still, you're very invested in it. And being able to, in meditation, to really see that attachment, like I really want to keep thinking about that, and to let that go um, starts making your mind a lot more flexible and fluid. And so... Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed with practice, for instance, um, is that I may be, you know, I'm, I, I got into a kind of, you know, really strong argument with, uh, with my spouse, you know, and, and really attached to it. And then at some point became mindful of it, you know, and as with practice, I was able to get off it much 
much quicker over the years. You know, at first it took a really long time. You know, I'd still be simmering in irritation for a long time, you know, and then it just got a little bit easier and easier and easier because I have a commitment in, in my relationship to be kind. And um, and so by being able to disentangle from that, that deep thinking that I'm right, you know, I, I've got the attachment to being right is huge, you know, that's been a huge driving force in my life to always be right. And so, you know, okay, you know, can I disentangle this? Can I move away from it? Uh, not have to prove at this moment that I'm right at this moment. And so we can gain a lot of freedom as we learn to disentangle during meditation during, and then during daily life. Yeah, the Buddha taught um, whatever a person frequently thinks, thinks becomes the disposition of the mind, the inclination of the mind. And, um, and so what happens, for instance, if you, if you fantasize a lot, um, you know, I know when I was, uh, uh, you know, I used to love to fantasize, you know, I won't, I won't mention what fantasies, but, <laughs> um, you know, and I noticed that the more I did it, it's like, it would just be right there, you know, and uh, just right there, right there, ready to go, you know, and my mind, you know, I'd sit down, relax, fantasy, you know, and, um, uh, you know, so the more we do something, the more the mind wants to, is, is facilitates it. It's just like you, we learn a skill. It's the more we do it, the easier it is. And um, it happens with a lot of the um, uh, unhelpful thoughts. And um, I think the example that I like to use is uh, uh, being judgmental. Um, you know, I, as far back as I can remember, I was a be, you know, a very judgmental person, you know, I just uh, um, actually didn't see, um, I saw what was wrong with everybody, I mean everybody, you know, the Dalai Lama, you know, <laughs> um, I could find something wrong, you know, and, and that would be my focus, you know, I would focus on that, you know, and, and, um, and, um, you know, one of my teachers, you know, when I, I really recognized, you know, how deep that, that habit was, and it wasn't just towards everybody else, it was towards myself, you know, also, you know, um, every time I look within, it's like, this is what I have to fix. This is what's wrong with me. I've got to fix this, you know, and that was always my, my, my mind just went into what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And, and, um, so, I, so he suggested that I do this practice and, uh, and, uh, what the practice was, you know, I went to a busy place and I did this at an airport and I, um, uh, looked at every single person I saw and tried to find something uh, that I liked about them. Anything. It didn't matter. You know, some people it was easy. You know, they'd have this big smile. Yeah, sure. Love that smile. Um, you know, and I found myself, there was a, a um, and I've told this before, but, but bear with me, but um, there's a woman there with her uh, little kid, you know, a 
you know, about four year old, I think. And she was like yanking him really meanly by the arm, you know. And, you know, and I just had like instant dislike and aversion. And I said, okay, can I do this towards this woman? Can I, you know, can I do this, you know, just to, to see if anything could show up. And, you know, and I noticed she, I really liked her socks. Yeah. <laughs> And, but it was just, you know, it's not that that's, we're supposed to ignore that kind of behavior or anything, but it's just really a training of the mind to start seeing, um, you know, have thoughts that are more helpful. Um, if we spend five minutes thinking about what we dislike about the world, our mind just sinks into a kind of dark place. But if we spend five minutes appreciating life, appreciating, um, you know, the sun outside, the wind, or the rain, or or each other, you know, then the heart lifts. Um, so these habits of mind, these persistent habits of mind. Uh, can be retrained with mindfulness. So we don't want to really skip that side of, uh, you know, we want to get quiet, you know, but we don't want to ignore when we get caught in these habits of mind uh, because they have a very deep effect in our lives. You know, it's even, um, they even talk about it in, this, this idea in cognitive therapy, um, which is used often for depression. And uh, what they found is that people who, who tend to get depressed, it starts with a thought. And um, the thought will trigger another related thought. And then if they don't catch it, uh, then it triggers into a depressive cycle. You know, I'm unhappy, da, 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 you know, and it goes on. But they found that one of the really helpful tools in cognitive therapy is to learn to recognize those thoughts when they first start and then go in a different direction. And it takes a lot of mindfulness to do that. You know, that's why, you know, uh, it's such a wonderful mesh cognitive, uh, mindful, mindful, based cognitive therapy. It uses this practice to really be able to pay close attention to our thinking process. Um, one other thing I like to mention, you know, is um, uh, sometimes it takes a lot of commitment to put our thoughts aside. Um, they seduce us. They're, they're so enticing. And one of the really enticing types of thoughts that, um, uh, that many of us have at different times um, are what we call creative attacks. Um, you know, and suddenly in meditation, you finally come up with the best design for building your dream home. You know, and this is the only time you can do it because it's it's just so fantastic, you know. And so we have these these moments of, of um, uh, and it's very and there's a reason why that happens so much in in meditation because the you know when we when we concentrate the mind, when we watch the breath, we calm the mind, and we have mindfulness. So we've got some energy. Um, there's a sense of stability and vitality that begins to arise, and that vitality, that that wonderful sense of of possibility and energy, can go into really deepening our practice. But it's also the same energy that goes into creativity. 
so, you know, it can be very seductive because it's such a great energy. Um, I mean, I remember, I mean, I've heard all sorts of things that people do, but, you know, uh, the one that struck me was uh, uh, Gil, my teacher, you know, he built a helicopter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I've written a whole, I, I, a whole teacher's manual, you know, on retreat, you know. Um, so, so there's, um, you know, we get seduced by that, you know, we get seduced by the, by that juiciness. One of my teachers, um, you know, in the early days of my practice, it used to happen a lot to me. You know, I'd, I'd sit down and within, you know, 10 minutes, I'd start having great ideas, great solutions to all my problems, you know. And, and so uh, he suggested that I keep a notepad uh, by my meditation cushion. And if I really couldn't stop obsessing to just write it down really quick, you know, mindfully, you know, and uh, not elaborate, but, uh, and then just go back to the meditation. And, um, uh, and, you know, I think I did it twice, and then I finally realized that uh, uh, those ideas were going to be available anyways at some point. And actually, most of the creative attacks that I had on retreat, um, uh, I never did anything with them, even if I, if, even if I indulged them. Uh, so... Gil never um, built his helicopter. Um, And we can get seduced by all sorts of thoughts. Um, You know, we have, um, we all have different tendencies of our minds of how we get caught. And um, there are patterns, there are thinking patterns that we have. And it can be helpful often to recognize the pattern. and for instance, uh, really common patterns are planning, uh, worrying. Um, you know, when we um, do repetitive planning, um, it often comes from an underlying emotion. Uh, it might be an anxiety, like I've, um, you know, making dinner for some friends, and you're just planning it and replanning it and replanning it. And what's really happening is you just so want to make a good impression, and you're afraid you're not going to. You're afraid you're going to make a fool of yourself, or, or whatever these these fears are underneath. And so by ignoring that, you know that, uh, and getting lost in it, you know you you miss a whole lot. You miss a whole lot. Uh, and it's not helpful. It's absolutely not helpful. Any of the repetitive type patterns uh, that we do with our thinking are not helpful. You know, you can do wise planning. Planning is essential. I mean, this retreat center wouldn't have, wouldn't exist with tremendous without a tremendous amount of planning. But it needs to planning needs to be really directed um, and not coming out of uh, um, uh, an underlying emotional contraction. You know, another, um, some people have a real habit of worrying on retreat, you know, um, uh, not on retreat, but in meditate or just throughout their lives. And um, uh, for, I I like to keep, um, you know, when these things come up, you know, and it's like, uh, you know, for the thousandth time, you know, here I am worrying again, here I am worrying again, you know. Um, I find it really helpful to bring a little bit of lightness 
uh, I find humor in, in my own mind, you know, to to really help me disentangle from some of these thoughts, you know. And um, I love, um, you know, Mark uh, Mark Twain's quote. You know, some of the worst thing in my life, worst things in my life have never happened. Yeah, and um, you know, it's you know, it helps. It helps me hold things lighter and and easier to kind of let it go. You know, it's like, okay, I, I, you know, that worrying isn't really based on reality here, or and it's or it's not helpful. Um, another type of thought that I think is a really um, excuse me. Um, another type of thought that I think is um, really a, has a powerful effect on us are thoughts of impatience. Um, <clears throat> it seems harmless to be impatient, and we talked a little bit about yesterday about you know the waiting for the bell to ring, right? You know how much longer? How much longer? How much longer? You know, you, you know, are we there yet? You know, it's one of the things, when I'm feeling impatient, that's one of the first things that come to my mind. Are we there yet? <laughs> um, there's actually a cartoon that I saw, um, you know, of people meditating, you know, and that's one of the thought bubbles, you know. You know, w- you know there's this path to enlightenment and it says, are we there yet? <laughs> you know. Um, um, <clears throat> but underneath impatience, there's an underlying aversion to the present moment. There's something happening that we don't like. And I think that that's what we miss when we get hooked on, um, on uh, you know, standing in line and that person is moving fast enough, you know, they're, it's taking too long. Oh, I'm all the way back here in line. Da-da-da. You know, all that, all that stuff. You know, there's something uh, that we don't want to be feeling. And so to actually drop back into what it is, what is it that I don't want to be feeling? Like when you're, um, you know, waiting for the bell to ring, right? What is it you don't want to feel in that moment? And it's very, very rich to do that. It's very, uh, to just turn the practice right around, you know, and, and look at the difficult because impatience is a moment of suffering. It's a moment of difficulty, of challenge. So can we just turn around and really look at it? What, what is this? What is this? Um, I've been impatient, sometimes it gets triggered by some pain, and sometimes a minor pain, um, or, um, or mental tiredness, a feeling of tiredness, you know, and uh, um, I've often had a lot of aversion to feeling tired. You know, and so, oh, t- tiredness, okay, that's a little unpleasant, yeah, yeah. And can I be with this unpleasantness? You know, and uh, a lot of our practice um, is about expanding our capacity to be with whatever it is, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And so, you know, one of the things I often say is, you know, the practice made me more comfortable being uncomfortable. And uh, it also increases how much joy we feel. You know, the more we allow one, the more we can we allow the other. And so, um, you know, 
when we're impatient, there's something uncomfortable going on. Can we uh, turn our attention to it, fold it back into the practice? You know, mindfulness of impatience, what's that like? And um, one of the things that's so important is that when we fall into impatience, we're actually saying, this moment in my life is not worth living. This moment isn't worth being alive for, this moment. Um, you know, and that's a very powerful thing that we're saying to ourselves when we're impatient. So it's really helpful to wake up to that, uh, to that habit pattern. Um, some of us, um, you know, some of us are more aversion types, you know, I'm, you know, I've always tend to, to notice what's wrong, you know. Uh, some people are really desire types, and they just, they get distracted a lot by uh, what they want, you know, oh, what's for dinner, or, um, you know, oh, I want a new job, I want a new this, I want a new that, da, 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 da. you know, I, I want, um, I want to, blissed out. I want to be uh, the idea of enlightenment, not enlightened, but but just actually the idea of enlightenment, you know, and there's all these wanting, 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 and so that can be a, a repetitive pattern for some people. So one other thing I want to point out is that um, some of us, some some of the time, don't recognize that we're thinking. And um, it's amazing the variety, you know, when I talk to students, the variety of how thinking looks in their minds. Um, in fact, you know, in fact, sometimes, you know, people tell me how they think and I'm going, wow, you know, I'd love to be inside that brain and see what that felt like. Um, but we think in, some of us think in words, a lot of words, uh, sometimes complete sentences, you know, how, how many of you think in complete sentences? Sometimes. You know, how about fragments of sentences? How many of you are visual? That's your primary, you know, that's the strongest. Some of us have a mix. And some people have very little of either. And they mostly have thoughts and they don't see and they don't hear words but they know it's a thought and they, they recognize it and they can translate it to words. Um, some people get numbers, shapes, um, you know, so, you know, but mostly, most people are either visual, mix of visual and audit, you know, and words. Um, but it's helpful to really recognize uh, uh, what you, what's happening in your mind. And for me, um, I never really got uh, for, for a while, that uh, visual thoughts were thoughts. You know, oh yeah, that's nice. Oh, that's, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> you know, and I just get lost in these visual things, not even recognizing there were thoughts. And um, one of the things that was really helpful for me uh, with becoming aware of, of images, that those were my thoughts, uh, those that was one aspect of, of thinking for me, um, was in um, dealing with sleepiness. Because one of the things that happens for many of us, you know, when we're meditating, the mind gets very concentrated, but it doesn't have a lot of energy. 
you know, we get into what's called like a sinking mind where it just kind of gets very dreamy. And for me, typically what happens, I start getting these nonsensical images. You know, I'm not asleep. You know, I can still be aware that I'm sitting here. And, but they start coming, these little nonsensical images. They're not connected to each other. You know, kind of like dreams while I'm awake, you know. And that, if I don't notice that, my mind goes right into, you know, dreamland, you know, and, and sleep, you know, dreamy, lack of awareness, etc. You know, so for me, that's like a flag, you know. So it's really helpful in my own practice. So, you know, as we began the first night, you know, we, we focused ourselves on the breath, you know, to uh, really stabilize the attention. And, you know, and, and a lot of what we've been doing this, you know, uh, up to now is like really uh, trying to keep the mind a little bit stable and returning to the breath. Um, and then we expanded it to include the physical sensations in the body when they became compelling. So f- there's an itch, there's a, a, a warmth, a, um, a ple- pleasant experience, a, a physical, you know, beautiful sound. You know, any of those things, we just fold them in. They, ah, sound, and then uh, back to the breath. Um, you know, oh, itching, and then back to the breath. And then um, we expanded to emotions. You know, these are the things that as human beings experience. You know, their physical sensations, emotions, thoughts. You know, these are the things that that, that uh, all humans uh, have. And so we expanded to include any compelling emotions. You know, we're not chasing these things. We're, we're just, when they arise and they're strong, we give them attention. And so we do so with thoughts also. And thoughts are the trickiest. And that's why, you know, we, we try to work with thoughts once the mind's a little bit more stable. And um, if a thought comes up, but it's short-lived, um, we don't have to follow it. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to do anything with it. We just let it go. You know, and as we uh, we said, we think of the mi- mind as having a foreground and a background. I've often been paying attention to the breath in the foreground, and I get these little thoughts back there that are like, oh, this thought, blah, blah, you know, or something pops in, but it just doesn't stay. I just leave it in the background. It's only when thoughts are really compelling, like a creative attack or or start planning or, or you know, we start going in a certain direction, you know, then we make the thinking process or meditation object and we give it our attention. Um, Every time we recognize that we're thinking, that moment of recognition weakens our attachment to the thinking process. So, you know, you might think you're not doing much, you know, when you, uh, you know, because you get caught up again in a minute later. But every time that we, uh, that it comes up, you know, I'm, oh, there I go, I'm planning again, oh, you know. But just the recognition already loosens that a little bit, loosens that a little bit. So trust the process, you know, when we work with thinking.
you know, one of the really most important things is to have a friendly relationship with our thinking. Um, we really want it to be friendly. And so that's why I mentioned all the good things about thinking, because uh, the, so much I hear, you know, when I, when I listen to, to students, you know, there's so much an attitude of, oh, yeah, I did all this thinking, you know, and it's like, um, you know, like I failed, I failed, I was thinking, you know, and um, so can we be really friendly and warm towards it? Um, you know, one of the things that I do in my mind, um, as I mentioned, I, you know, um, I try to bring humor to my mind that lets me loosen, really, um, um, you know, loosen my, my grasp on things much more easily to bring that lightness, you know, and, um, you know, like one of the things that I've said to my, you know, said is, um, if only people weren't so annoying, then I'd be enlightened. <laughs> You know, and and you know, and it just that kind of stuff just kind of gets me in the right, right, the ease of letting go. <laughs> um, and so I'd like to again, you know, we talked about labeling, you know, and um, labeling of thinking can be really helpful because it's like what gives you that moment of space, that recognition, um, and. Um, for some of us, labeling of the pattern can be really helpful. Um, for instance, uh, you know, I, you know, one of my patterns was uh, compulsive uh, planning, and so oh, way over planning, you know, way over planning. And and um, by beginning to name it, it made me really aware that it was a repetitive pattern. Uh, whereas if I just said thinking, I never would have noticed. Uh, so for me, that's really useful. But you have to see if, if that's useful for you. You know, sometimes just saying thinking. And uh, but you know, again, if if the thought goes away, just go back to the breath. You don't have to figure out what it was. You know, it's only if it's just kind of hanging out with you. You know, there's a way of. Um, of looking at this, you know, like, um, you know, this is a human being watching thinking, you know, that that's a little bit of separation as we're trying to create, you know, it's like the thoughts are like such glue, you know, so, uh, you know, really creating just a little bit of, of uh, stepping back from it enough to, to get some distance from it. And one of the really great ways of stepping back um, when, um, you know, there's many times I sat down where my mind is just going so fast, you know, it's especially in daily life sometimes. And there's just thought after thought after thought, you know, just like this busy, busy, busy field. And one of the most helpful things um, is to uh, just drop into how the body feels when you're doing that. Um, and it's amazing, you know, like you can feel like all this buzzing in your head or, or you might have tension in your head or, or maybe shoulders are tight. So by going to the body, often, you know, when you've got a lot of strong thinking, uh, it makes you immediately mindful. That's immediately, and it's a lot easier to be mindful of the body than to be, uh, you know, kind of give attention to these thoughts that are bombarding your brain so quickly. And, um, you know, and, and you're in the present, you're here in the body.
So one of the um, one of the ways I like to think about um, attention is that our attention is like food. It's uh, we can either feed the world of thinking, or we can feed the world of awareness. And um, and we do that by giving it attention. And so if we continue to pay attention and get, and get sucked in by our thinking, we're, we're making our thinking world much bigger, much stronger. But if we nourish a world of awareness, of, of attention uh, to the present moment, then we're making that a lot stronger. You know, in general, you know, the idea is that um, thinking isn't really useful in, as, as in the world of meditation in terms of uh, uh, the, uh, the undirected thoughts we might have, that we don't need to figure anything out. There's nothing to figure out. Uh, I've spent a lot of problem-solving time on retreat. You know, oh, I've got this pain here. How do I fix it? I've got this, you know, I'm tired. How do I fix it? You know, um, instead of just, oh, let me pay attention. What's really happening here? You know, as the world of thinking starts getting thinner, more transparent, uh, less substantial, you know, it allows us to really go much deeper in the practice, you know, and so that, that um, allows us to feel a much greater satisfaction. And as we let go of the world of thinking um, and let go of uh, our attachment to, to that world, uh, we start feeling a much deeper satisfaction from the deep deeper silence within us, the deeper quiet within us. And um, so it's a really wonderful feedback, you know. And so as we continue to practice, it um, it makes it a lot easier to let go of, of that really strong glue, that attachment we get. The, the, one of the reasons that working with thinking is so, um, can be challenging is because, as I said, um, uh, so much of our thoughts are generated by emotions underneath them. And uh, so sometimes we need to look at the emotion. Sometimes an emotion generates a thought. Sometimes a thought generates an emotion. You know, there's an interplay, an interdependence. Um, the thoughts are connected with our bodies. As I mentioned, you know, having a busy mind, you know, affects the body. Having a, a, a tired body affects the mind. So, you know, all this is an interplay, you know, and so sometimes, especially with thinking, uh, it's harder than, pay, you know, it's a little more challenging than than becoming mindful of emotions or um uh, or the body, or the breath, for, for many of us. So um, what I'd like to go to from there is that, you know, really respecting the compl- that sometimes it feels complex and confusing, that it's always fine to keep it simple, go back to the breath, 
your thoughts will come back again, so you can visit them anytime, you know, and, and, and as the mind gets more stable, more quiet, then, you know, we can watch, when thoughts do arise, we can see them more skillfully, um, you know, more clearly. And, um, you know, and even though, you know, we tend to say, you know, uh, it's really useful to let go of thoughts, um, you know, there's certain type of thoughts that are very deep, very deep connected thoughts, um, you know, insights, you know, we get very deep insights in meditation sometimes. And, and then, you know, we want to, um, we think about them a little bit to make sense of what they were so we can uh, integrate it into our lives, you know. And so those are really valuable type of thoughts that can happen. Um, so there's a real big difference between that kind of thinking and then the, just the chattering of the mind, the habit patterns of the mind. You know, and lastly, I want to just leave you with an image, you know, the, a really common Buddhist image of, um, of uh, you know, of the muddy pond. You know, think of a muddy pond and, uh, you know, somebody uh, has come around and, you know, and, and kind of uh, stirred it, you know, stirred the pond, got, gotten all the silt from, from the underneath, and it's all circulating. So you can't see anything, you know, it's just really muddy. And, but all it takes is for, uh, to just leave it alone, and then all that stuff will settle. It'll just settle and... and um, and that's how you get a clear pond. And so that's a lot of what we're doing in this practice. We're, um, you know, our minds have been stirred up, right? Life stirs us up. And we're allowing the, all of that just to settle. We don't have to do so much. All we have to do is kind of get out of the way and let it do, do its thing. And it just settles. Um, and a lot of you have noticed, you know, the sec, you know, the second day of the full day of the retreat, uh, you know, maybe your thoughts are a little bit further apart, um, a little bit less frequent. <clears throat> and, um, you know, when we, when we resist our experience, any type of resistance of our experience, it's like stirring the pond. And so lastly, I want to, um, uh, uh, one of the quotes I like from um, uh, Suzuki Roshi, the Zen master, is, you know, when you meditate, don't be bothered by your thoughts. So I'd like to just end with uh, uh, sitting for a minute or so.
the spacious mind has room for everything. It's like the space in a room which is never harmed by what goes in and out of it. The spacious mind has room for everything. It's like space in a room. It's never harmed by what goes in and out of it. <laughs> 